The views and opinions expressed on my story, Living with Lupus Podcast, represents each person's individual experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lupus podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved. Fundings, issues, underscores that magnitude of this crisis that engulfs poor districts. This report estimated that $23 billion less is spent on non-white school districts, and that as of 2016, suburban school districts received $13,908 for every student compared to only $11,682 for students in underserved and poverty. 
poverty-stricken districts. Now, we all understand life's impact. We all go through life situations. But when you lose your job or when you are stricken with a life-altering health condition, providing the basic needs for children or your child who are school age puts extra pressure on you. See, that's why we at the Charlie E. and Minnie P. Hendricks Foundation believes in extending that hand to lighten the load. We believe and carrying on the mission of helping others, just like the two individuals who inspired this nonprofit. Now, starting in January 2020, we are on a serious endeavor of providing children with the necessary supplies for the school year. So, if you have a child between the grades of K through 8 and you are in need of backpacks filled with school supplies, I want you to stay tuned and I want you to go over to Foundation for Chronic Illness Awareness.com. That's HTTPS semicolon backslash backslash Charlie E. Minnie P. Hendricks Foundation for Chronic Illness Awareness.com. And also you can go on story living with lupus website information will be posted on both websites also stay on the lookout for sign up sheets that will be posted on the website also now are you ready to do. That's right. Grab your cup of coffee. Grab your cup of tea. And if you're listening late at night, you know I appreciate it. So grab your favorite glass of wine and come on and join me right here on my story. Motivational 
and empowerment speaker is available for your next empowerment event and conference. You can book her for your next event at rightsideof50 at gmail.com. That's R-I-G-H-T-S-I-D-E-O-F-5-0 at gmail.com or call 470-330-1426. Each one encourage one. Presented by Parisian Park Dreams and Themes. Cruise with a twist, right side of 50, hosting a session, stepping into my newness. Door prizes, raffles, and fun in the sun. April the 2nd through April 6th. 2020, Jacksonville Cruise Port, Jacksonville, Florida. Deposit $150 due July 10th, 2019. Ports of Call, Freeport and Nassau, $579 Ocean View per person, $554 Interior. Contact 770-982-9399 and ask for D-Parts. This information is provided by MedPage Today. Public Health and Policy Ethics. Dead Kids. Hospital secret tapes, hush, hush, Alzheimer's, Trina CEO going to jail. This past week in healthcare investigations, the New York Times provides an in-depth look at high death rates and behind-the-scenes operations at North Carolina Children's Hospital part of the University of North Carolina Medical Center in Chapel Hill. Cardiologists wrestled with whether to send children there for heart surgery after seeing unexpected poor outcomes, including deaths, yet the hospital continued doing the procedures. Tapes of meetings that took place from 2016 to 2017, obtained by the Times involving cardiologists at UNC, reveal concern and alarm over elevated death rates among surgical patients, even for low-risk procedures. The recordings included one cardiologist saying, I quote, I mean, our house is in total disarray. This is crazy what we're doing. I should be as pissed as anybody 
and in fact, maybe more. I've never seen anything like it, quite frankly. And we're going backwards, not forward. End quote. The cardiologists were sure, weren't sure why the surgical results were so poor, but limited resources and a chief pediatric cardiac surgeon whom many didn't trust were reasons why several doctors referred more children to other hospitals. Meanwhile, administrators at the children's hospital did everything they could to hide the problem. After the Times report appeared, North Carolina's Health and Human Services Secretary announced the state would conduct a thorough investigation alongside federal authorities, according to North Carolina Health News. UNC Healthcare CEO and Dean of UNC Med School told staff that the Times criticism was overstated. Now, let me ask you a question. Doctors take, well, supposedly, allegedly, takes an oath to cause no harm to any patients. But in this case, the harm which was done to children was death. Now, if other cardiologists had concerns regarding a chief pediatric cardiac surgeon whom many didn't trust, why didn't someone, I'm talking about doctors, go to the administrator and complain instead of doing these procedures on children that would wind up in death. You see, we as patients, we're consumers, and when we go in to have a procedure, a simple procedure or operation, You're trusting that surgeon with your life. I want you to call in and tell me your thoughts on that. Do you think that the doctors knew and did nothing? They went ahead? And allowed this to happen along with the um, UNC healthcare CEO and dean of UNC med school. Is it all about money? For me, after reviewing this, that's all it was about. They need to stop taking human life. As an assembly line. And when I say assembly line, I mean we get you in, get you out. Um, 
if a patient asks, is this surgeon any good? Of course they're going to say, yes. You think someone is going to tell you, no. They're going to tell you, yes, he's good, even though they know. Deep down, they know that he's no good. And they allow this person to operate on a child. It's all about the money to me. There's no regard to human life. It's about how much we can make off of a patient. I'm not saying all are like this, but some are. Now, hush, hush, Alzheimer's. Pfizer drugs hid in treating Alzheimer data. By using insurance claim data from hundreds of thousands of anonymous patients' records, Pfizer's researchers found in 2015 that its arthritis and psoriasis drug, Enbrel, appeared to reduce the risk of Alzheimer's by 64% the Washington Post reports. Company executives decided, however, to keep the data private and not to follow up with a trial to confirm the findings against the researcher's advice. According to internal documents obtained by the Post, they estimated that such a trial would cost $80 million. Officials told the Post they suspected that the claims data were a fluke, in part because the drug doesn't pass the blood-brain barrier and no convincing mechanisms was proposed. By early 2018, in fact, Pfizer had decided to get out of neurology altogether. And the decision not to publish the data was motivated by a belief that it would put other scientists on the wrong course. Officials said Pfizer did share the data which holds marketing rights to Enbrel in North America. Officials there agreed that the findings held little promise, according to the Post. Those explanations didn't satisfy researchers outside the company when told about the data. They said the drugs off-patent status and the availability surely weighed on Pfizer's decision not to pursue the findings. Some don't buy the argument that the drug must reach the central nervous system to affect Alzheimer's disease risk. Their bottom line, the data should be published. 
the bottom line was that $80 million cost for the trial, plain and simple. Trina, CEO, gets jail term. Trina Health CEO, G. Ford Gilbert, was sentenced to six months in prison, followed by six months home confinement for a bribery scheme in Alabama. Gilbert attracted notary for heading up the Trina Diabetes Clinic, which provided unproven insulin infusion treatments, which Medicare determined in 2009 had no clear benefit. Gilbert ran into trouble in Alabama when the state's Blue Cross Blue Shield affiliate following Medicare's lead refused to cover the treatment. Prosecutors charged that he then tried to influence the state legislator to pass a law forcing coverage, including payoffs to the state house majority leader who previously pled guilty to an unrelated fraud charge and served a brief prison term. Gilbert had struck a deal with prosecutors who agreed to drop other charges, including health care fraud, mail fraud, and racketeering in exchange for his guilty plea on the bribery charge. His attorney said in a statement that Gilbert is remorseful that he allowed his passion for diabetes treatment to overcome his judgment, resulting in criminal conviction. Oh, give me a break. No. He's remorseful that he got caught by doing fraud. That's all it's about. That's what he is remorseful about. He's not remorseful for treating patients or providing patients with unproven insulin infusion treatments that he knew in 2009 had no clear benefit. He wanted that money. Why did you think he went to legislators and um, to try to get the law passed forcing the coverage of this treatment? You see, this is one of the reasons why I got out of the healthcare field. It really is. Because what goes on, the fraud, the greed, and no care for human life or the patient. I couldn't take it. I could not take it. Um, no, he's remorseful because he got caught. His passion for diabetes treatment to overcome his judgment. Give me a break now. Come on. Give me a break and you only give him 
six months in prison, followed by six months home confinement, he should still be in jail. To be honest with you, he should still be in jail. See, it's doctors like this that give other doctors who are trying to help their patients a bad name. That's why, um, as you heard in my previous episodes, that's why I'm so hard on doctors. Don't think that you're going to run in and everything on me. I'll sit there and I'll listen to you like I know nothing. And once they get through, that's when I come out. And that's when they ask, oh, you have a medical background. Yes, I do. Don't run it on me. Don't try it on me. My sisters, I have to go to the doctors with my sisters. And um, sit in when the doctor sees them. And if they don't, if my sisters don't understand something, they'll look at me and I will either shake my head yes or no. So come on, he's remorseful because he got caught. Point blank, period. He is the author of Positive Energy 24-7. And his latest book, It Was Destined, Urban Legend. He's Detroit's own author, Henry Long, to purchase an autographed copy of his book and to purchase his e-book, go to rightpath247.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-P-A-T-H-247.com. You can also follow him on Instagram at rightpath247. Ebola funds won't help Congo until the disease spreads. This month, Ebola moved from the Democratic Republic of Congo, where it re-emerged in August 2018 into neighboring Uganda. The World Health Organization confirmed that a five-year-old boy was the first fatality from this virus in Uganda. Reuters reported on Thursday that the boy's grandmother had also died, citing a health ministry official and fanning fears that the spread of the virus has begun. Since 2017, the World Bank has been issuing pandemic bonds, which use private investments to help developing nations tackle outbreaks of infectious diseases. The particular bond that covers Ebola 
among other diseases, pays investors a coupon of 11.1%. Funded by donor nations Japan and Germany. Since the first case of Ebola in August last year, almost 1,400 people out of 2,000 infected have died in eastern Congo, a region with rich mineral deposits, but one of the poorest countries in the world according to the UN. But that doesn't mean they get the aid money. Despite thousands of deaths in Congo, the bonds will only benefit effective nations once they jump international borders and a positive rate of growth of the outbreak is confirmed. According to a person familiar with the bonds, then and only then with the Washington headquartered World Bank pay $90 million to help both governments and international aid responders tackle the crisis. Additionally, since their introduction, pandemic bonds have yet to pay out to effective nations. That person familiar with the bonds also says the criteria for the pandemic emergency financing insurance window to activate is, among others, that the outbreak is affecting at least two countries. With each country having surpassed a specific threshold of severity. This is crazy. A representative from the World Bank notes, we are deeply concerned about the Ebola outbreak in DRC and the recent developments in Uganda. The situation is very complex and fluid, especially in a crisis of this magnitude and severity. Why not just give them the money then if you're that concerned? Lord, efforts to contain the spread of Ebola in the country have been hampered by chronic violence and suspicions of outsiders. In February, the Development Bank gave the DRC $80 million in grants to help finance responses for the Ebola outbreak. But the bank's readiness to allow the death toll to rise before paying out fully on the insurance element of the facility is likely to fuel criticism over the deal structure. If the bonds mature without paying out, investors get their money back, 
plus the chunky coupons. Lord, 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 Lord. Such bonds are an example of a wider growing trend where private finance replaces traditional funding methods such as disaster relief aid. This is crazy. This is truly crazy. They got the money, but you have to reach a certain death toll before they give you the money for the proper treatment. This is this is really crazy. This is really crazy. No one is taking... Does anybody have any compassion? Do you think that compassion still exists in this world? Or is it all about greed? This is really ridiculous. They have the money, but you they have to wait until it crosses the border and reach a certain death toll before paying out fully on the insurance element. But they want to make sure that the investors get their money back. If you're going to give, give and not look for something in return. Where has the compassion gone in this world? People are dying. But you won't release the funds to treat them. I don't understand what's going on. Please call in and give me your opinion on what you you heard in this segment, please. I see no compassion left in this world. Impatient opioids influence at home use. Patients given opioids during their hospital stay were more likely to continue using them post-discharge, according to electronic records from a single system. Among nearly 200,000 opioid-naive medical and surgical admissions to the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, about half, 48%, were prescribed opioids and 7.9 to 22.2% were given non-opioid analgesics like ibuprofen before opioid initiations, depending on a mission type, reported Julie Donahue, Ph.D., of the University of Pittsburgh and colleagues compared with patients who were not prescribed opioids those who did get a prescription were also twice as likely to continue using them in outpatient settings three months out the team wrote the data were controlled for the type of admission, intensive care unit stay, substance abuse use, history of chronic pain, and mental health conditions, as well as insurance status. There we go.
sex, age, here we go again, race, Donahue noted. There have been a lot of studies measuring opioid use in outpatient settings, but very few have used hospital records to look at what happens during a hospital setting in terms of opioids prescribed. That was the gap we were trying to fill, Dr. Donahue stated. In 2016, the CDC released the guideline for prescribing opioids for chronic pain, which was intended for primary care physicians treating chronic pain and has led to more conservative opioid prescribing. The guidelines state that long-term opioid use often begins with acute pain treatment and that in this setting, clinicians should prescribe the lowest effective dose of immediate release opioids, which typically will not need to be taken for more than seven days. For patients already on long-term prescribed opioids, the guidelines do not provide specifics on how to taper or adjust their dosing. However, avoiding initiation of long-term opioid therapy is an objective with a clearer consensus. I'm sorry. They continued, and avoiding this first prescription in opioid-naive patients may reduce incident, long-term use, and associated harms. Overall, opioid prescribing can be sticky, and like any retrospective analysis, this study is subject to unmeasured confounding variables like patients' level of pain or whether they saw a high versus low-volume opioid prescriber. This report is long, and if you want to further read into it, you can head on over to medpagetoday.com. Article was written June 17th, 2019. The Purple Princess presents 51 Shades of Purple. This Saturday, June the 22nd, 2019 at 7 p.m., the Warehouse Industrial Venue, 212 North Academy, Butler, Alabama, 36904, Attire, Business Casual. Ask us how you can win a free trip. Win a free trip. 51 Shades of Purple 
giveaway. It will be this Saturday, which is the 22nd of June. And the money raised for this event that night will go to the Lupus Foundation of America. And there will also be a trip giveaway. And you do not have to be present to win. You can buy your raffle tickets for $3 by Cash App. And the Cash App name is dollar sign. S-C-H-E-N-I-Q-U-I-L That's dollar sign S-C-H-E-N-I-Q-U-L Or if you want to ask about it you can ask Shanice Hampton Go on over to her Facebook page and DM her. I would like to thank you for joining me on this Friday. I really do appreciate you taking the time out. Also, I want you to keep a lookout on the website, the Charlie E. and Minnie P. Hendrix Foundation for Chronic Illness Awareness. There you will find out about the January 2020 endeavors that we're gearing up to provide children with the necessary supplies for that school year. Also, you can verify that we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization on GuideStar. That's G U I D E S T A R. We're also registered there. We are a transparent nonprofit. Also, be looking coming up in 2020 to honor our veterans on behalf of my two brothers who served in the Vietnam War, my brother Bobby Hendricks, who was in the army and fought in the Vietnam War. He passed away a year after returning. Brother Charles Hendricks, who served in the Air Force. So, veterans, be on the lookout in the year 2020. I'll be doing something for you also. And, ladies who suffer from hair loss due to any chronic illness. I have a special something something for you coming up next year. I'll be going into that and we'll be posting that on both websites also. And look for us in July, especially on the 19th. Life Lessons 
with Sheila Smith, motivational speaker and creator of Right Side of 50. Also, I want to leave you with a little something, something. Remember, never look down on anybody unless you're helping him Susan Hendricks for my story Living with Lupus I'll see you next week Have a peaceful and blessed weekend The View and opinions expressed on my story, Living with Lupus Podcast, represents each person's individual experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lupus podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved.